interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is The Carrie Edelman Show. Welcome to The Carrie Edelman Show. I am so excited today as we have the incredibly talented comedian, actor, writer, and impersonator John Domenico coming on in a moment. So just want to do a brief introduction to my show, and then we're going to do a really cool in-depth interview with John and delve into his, uh, his history growing up and really getting into how he became the amazing talent that he is today. He'll be joining some of the other guests that I've had the honor of interviewing, including comedian and head writer for Seinfeld, Peter Melman, New York Times bestselling author Jennifer Keshin Armstrong, award-winning journalist and author Michael Sager, and uh, renowned mastering engineer Mayar Applebaum. Just a few of the people I've had on my show. So if you're interested in checking out the interviews, I do not do a cookie-cutter interview, excuse me. I really like to delve into each person in a unique and different way and really bring out who they are individually. So you can check out the shows on iTunes and the podcast. A little bit about my background. I always throw out there that I do have a background in psychology, um, but my show is an entertainment show. We're not going to be doing any types of therapy or analysis on my show. But if something comes up in an educational format, we will uh, delve into that. But of course, it's going to be always done in a professional manner. So if you're tuning in, you can create a Blog Talk Radio account by going to blogtalkradio.com. All right, so let's do a nice introduction for John, and then we're going to bring him on. So John is an Emmy-nominated actor, writer, comedian, and impersonator. He is best known for his award-winning Donald Trump impersonation as winner of Best of Las Vegas Silver, ABC's The View National Trump Contest, and The Laugh Factory's International Trump Competition. He has been performing Trump since 2004. Um, he's appeared on Conan O'Brien, Slate's Trumpcast, Chelsea Handler, as well as Howard Stern Show, Joe, uh, Stephen Colbert, and also the James Corden Show. He's also appeared in over 13 featured films. He has an award-winning web series called You've Got Trump, The First 100 Days. So I don't want to go into every little detail, but also, be sure to check out Orange Acres. It is a hilarious new YouTube web series that he has out there, and we'll definitely discuss that today. Di Domenico can also be found on TikTok with over 4.5 million followers, as well as on YouTube with over 19 million views. So for more information, you can check John out at thejohnnydshow.com. All right, so let's bring John on and introduce him and get into this interview. Hello. Hey, John. <laughs> how are you, Carrie? Uh-oh, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me Good. on. Absolutely. Thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to have you on, and uh, your background is just extremely rich and interesting, and I'm really um, curious to get involved in, in hearing about you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Cool. And so I, I think it's my favorite topic, me. <laughs> <laughs> the one I'm okay. most well-versed on. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so again, thank you so much for joining. And I know things are changing a little bit, but how, just to kind of, you know, kind of break the ice, so to speak, how have you been making out with the whole quarantine thing before, you know, fortunately it looks like things are coming around, which is, you know, great for you and everyone else in the entertainment industry. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how you were making out when we were really in the throes of it. Well, you know, I I'm very very lucky. I, you know, when when Trump um, 
one, I built a press room set in my house. It's a replica. It's a little smaller than the actual press room at the White House. And right. I had that because I was doing a lot of cameos and corporate videos already, and I already have an audio studio in my house, and I have a green screen studio, and I have all my wardrobe, and I have a makeup station here, and my wigs are all here. So wow. it was it was a pretty easy transition for me because everything just went right to um, either Zoom or video, which I had already been doing. So, uh, and then once it progressed and I started working, when I needed to do bigger meetings, especially around Christmas, there's a, there's a studio here. Actually, there's a bunch of studios here in Las Vegas where I live. And we just did, we did the meetings as a TV show as opposed to me live on stage. Uh, right. So I may have been myself or a character or we shot elements in advance. And I, it was actually a really good year for me. So no, that's between and, and, and cameos are a great gift because you don't have to ship them. They don't have to be delivered. Number one, people didn't want to touch, you know, FedEx packages and right. Amazon packages. So everything kind of worked in my favor, which is usually not the case. So uh, it was it was a really productive year for me and gave birth to some, um, you know, some new projects and a lot of writing. And I ended up getting on Howard Stern really because of the pandemic. Um, I, I had been, you know, I was seeing people putting out, I, you know, I put out a lot of content, but it's paid content for somebody else. And one day I was, um, getting out of Trump and I had just done a bunch of cameos and I think Sarah Cooper had just taken off or somebody had just taken off. And I remember thinking, I I mean, I, this is what I do all the time. I just need to shoot it and post it, you know, someplace where it can be seen. And I shot a thing about you know, it's it, no one tests like me, and I tested, and I was my test was extremely negative. It was so negative, it was positive, but it wasn't really <laughs> positive. It was negative, and I did this whole like five minute improvised bit. Yeah, no, that Howard was I Stern saw that. Saw that was yeah, that was amazing. And, and he, so and he played it and started talking about me, and then we started. Uh, we're actually represented by the same agent and um, agency. He's actually represented by Don Buckwald. I'm represented by Buckwald. I called them. I called my agent at Buckwald and said, "Howard Stern's talking about me. Could I could I get at least like a conversation or get an introduction or something?" And that's how that happened. So that's I got, incredible. I got to talk to his team, and then his team. You know, we worked for about. Like almost two months developing a bunch of material, and then they had me on the first time, and then they've had me on 15 subsequent times, and oh I'm currently God. with Trump. Yeah, no, and I wanted to, and I again, I mean, when we were, you know, communicating and, and, you know, getting ready to book the interview, right, that's exactly how I learned about you. I mean, I was on my way to work, and I'm like, you know, and again, every, you know, everyone does a good job when they're impersonating people, but there was something specific about your quality, and I said, wait, this is not like one of the regular Trumps I'm hearing on here. This guy. <laughs> and wait, no, but I said, I mean, just the enunciation and all the nuances and just how much you really tune in and observe, not just Trump, but any person that you impersonate. I mean, you really spend the time. And again, the other thing that I commended you for was just the content. I said, just the content itself, too. And you need, like, I think all those pieces to fit together. You know, anyone can exactly. do a great and voice. I- but it's pulling right. that all together into this cohesive um, impersonation. And yeah, I mean, it was great. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, because I'm, 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 you know, an actor, writer, comedian. I did stand up. I did a lot of improv. Um, so all those things, 
years and years of that work, you know, 10,000 hours uh, kind of thing. Uh, and it all comes together at a certain point. And for a character like him, for, for Trump, who is so tangential to begin with and so freeform in the way he speaks, it's been years of me doing him and then it kind of coalesces and then, you know, certain characters you do enough that you get inside their head. And I think that's part of the, the acting training. And then the, the improv helps because you have to keep a scene going, you know, right. and, but with him, there's a lot of, you get a lot of benefits, you know, I'm working on Joe Biden. There's just not a lot there for Biden, you know, where Trump could talk about anything, you know, for like 15, 20 minutes. And it doesn't matter because, you know, you say Chicago, you know, what a mess. What a mess Chicago is in the mayor. Wow, what a horrible, horrible mayor. But you know what's there? The Trump Tower, greatest building. And all, it's the tallest building in Chicago. But Chicago is just a terrible, terrible place. But when you go, you should stay at my hotel because if it's not a Trump hotel, it's a dump hotel. We've done so much for that city, I have to tell you. But the mayor is really working. And the governor, wow. You know, he just will just, it doesn't right. matter. His oh mind just kind gosh. of close on all these things. Right. Right. Well, and again, it sounds like, fortunately, like you said, for you, it was a seamless transition with the pandemic, because like you said, you could do everything in house. I mean, you had everything at your hand. So, you know, congratulations with being able to have that opportunity to keep the career going and not just going, but, you know, literally exploding on some level. Um, Yeah. And I realize how incredibly lucky I am because, you know, virtually all of my friends are you know, uh, singers, dancers, actors, right. comedians, and lighting people, sound people, and so many people just didn't have a venue. You know, there right. wasn't a lot of opportunities for sound guys or lighting guys or a dancer or, you know, people, and people tried to figure it out, but it's been very, very tough. And luckily, New York, uh, all these wonderful places where there's live, live shows, they're coming back little by little. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, no, it's been a really disconcerting time for people and it's, yeah, it's really tough. Um, So definitely can see how much you appreciate and how fortunate you are um, with the circumstances you were able to put yourself into. So, so let's do this. Let's uh, start digressing because I'm all about, I'd love to hear about kind of the history of the person and how they came to who they are today. So tell us a little bit about yourself growing up in Ambler, Pennsylvania and, you know, just, Really thinking back, if you can, reflect back to when you were really young, you know, four or five, six years old, you know, were you a kid who liked to entertain people? Um, Were you someone who was outgoing or was this something that developed over time? So tell us a little bit about kind of those childhood memories and some of the TV shows you watched and performers that inspired you. and, And then we'll start kind of pushing forward. Oh, sure. Well, when I was a kid, I was very, um, I was a big ham. And I was like five or six years old, and I used to watch. Well, first off, I had a speech impediment, pretty severe speech impediment. And, right. But I would watch um, all of the shows at the time because I'm 58, and I would watch Ed Sullivan and uh, all, you know, Mike Douglas and all the talk shows. And I loved comedians, but I really loved impressionists, and I loved the fact that they could change their voice. People like Frank Gorshin um, and David Fry. And um, I, my neighbors, Ambler is kind of like South Philly. It's just rows and rows of row homes okay. in a certain section of Ambler. And my neighbors would sit out, so I would just come outside and do the act I'd just seen on television. And they were like, 
What the heck? <laughs> you know, now right here in our show, the fabulous Bonzini brothers, and I would do Ed <laughs> Sullivan, and then John Bynard did a whole Ed Sullivan act, and I would do his whole act. And my neighbors loved it, and I got a lot of affirmation from that, you know, to have adults laugh at your material and think it was great. And uh, then when I entered um, first grade, they tested me, and I had, a, I had obvious you know, speech impediment. So for the next right. eight years, first through eighth grade, I did speech therapy for two times a week when school was in session. And those speech pathologists were really incredibly helpful to me, not just getting rid of the speech impediment, but teaching me the, the mechanics of right. voice, right. Uh, of, the, of the, 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 the mask, the vocal mask and, you know, throat, uh, throat placement and, no nasal placement and actual vocal production and all of those different things. It was, it was, it was a big, big help. And, and John, just so I can ask, cause I, and I think I want to point this out cause I think, you know, a lot of people in life, you know, sometimes you have some type of a limitation or a challenge, right. And you don't necessarily have that resilience or I love the term grit, you know, where do you think, yeah. cause you're saying this was a pretty serious, um, challenge you were dealing with did you did was you, were you ever the person was like ah oh, you know I don't know if I'm ever going to get beyond this or was it a combination of I, internally well, you're I, like, I I'm going to get beyond this <laughs> with that no I mean I remember as a kid like I had a I had a one eye that floated so I had to wear a patch plus I had glasses on I couldn't Aww. speak no one could understand me except when I did a voice that I had no Right. You know, I had no impediment. So it, it, it was one of those things where, um, and it was tough. I mean, my dad had a ninth grade education. He was a World War II veteran. There was a lot oh, of wow. uh, emotional distress in our house. So I, but I, you know, thankfully you mentioned what television shows I watched. I watched all these shows and movies and I was like, there's another world out there. There's another place. And right. I want to get to that place. And that's really what kept me going. That keeps me going to this day, honestly. Uh, this is a very tough, being a performer, being an actor, being an entertainer, this is a tough business. I mean, this is Absolutely. really, really tough. And, it's, you know, it's not like, yeah, it's, it's not even like necessarily cutthroat. This is really, really difficult. You're basically reinventing yourself every few years. You have to be a self-starter. You mm-hmm. have to practice on your own. You have to find your own work. You have to create your own work. It's and and the industry in the last, because of social media, the industry has changed significantly, and it keeps changing. You know, all these right. new platforms demand a different thing from you. So I, I just think I was really – the one thing I did get from my father, to kind of circle back and answer your question, yeah. is the fact that he just worked really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And he told me a couple of things. He said, no one is going to give you anything. Mm-hmm. No one owes you anything. They don't even owe you an opportunity. So that, like, really stuck to me and the other one the other thing he said was there's always going to be someone faster than you there's always going to be someone smarter than you there's always going to be someone who can do what you do so it it, it was uh it, it was you know you always like to think of yourself as special but kind of like you're not special you better work hard right so right that was the kind of thing it was that was ingrained you have to out, my thing is like i just outwork everybody else 
And that's, you know what, again, to commend you for that. But I, I think on both sides, I think internally you had this kind of perseverance and that grit that they call it. There's a great book out there, too, if you're ever interested. And I've, it's, it's, it has the title Grit in it. I can't think of right now. I Actually, it's by, I've um, seen that book. Yes, it's by Dr. Angela Duckworth. It's, it's phenomenal. But, I mean, you yeah. are a prime example of that. And it's talking about just because people have a high IQ doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to become, you know, the next CEO of a company. It, it takes no. this internal drive and this resilience and this perseverance. And we'll talk off the air. But I can totally empathize and relate to everything you're saying because I'm that type of person, too. I do the grunt work. I start from the ground up. I don't expect anything. Um, and I think that's so important that you had your father. Maybe you didn't want to hear it when you were a little kid, but it sounds right. like it really, it really resonated with you, um, and and that gave you another piece, you know, to to push yourself, like you're saying, to say, hey, I'm going to have to do this on my own. Yeah, and and I'll, and and I even as I got older, there's a show on NPR. It's called the. It's out of Santa Monica. It's called um, um, the Business. It's about it's about show business, and it's primarily okay. you know actors and writers, producers and directors, and you know you have this mindset. Um, and, and it doesn't really matter. There's a lot of career paths. This particular industry is weird. Like I can be in front of 5,000 people doing a big live corporate event. And then, you know, a week later in front of 250 people doing a ticketed event, you know, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. all over the place. You're doing a feature film and the next thing you're doing some crappy local commercial <laughs> and <laughs> it, it's really up and down. And it's, but listening to the business was a big help to me because I would hear major stars and screenwriters and even directors. And, you know, some would say they want an Oscar for a a performance or a lot of accolades. And they would say, they did not want me. They, 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 the studio said specifically, do not hire him. We do not want him. And I really fought for the role. I literally showed up at the director's house and begged for an audition. Wow. And what what was what what I really took away from that is like I as a human, I want things to get easier over time. And right. I right. have learned that things do not get easier over time. That is a myth um that you have to, you know, just throw out because it's 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 baggage on your little ship and it it's gonna be tough some weeks it's going to be easier some weeks, but there's no line going up. The easy line does not go up. It's right, up and down, right. up and down, up and down, you know. Kind of like a zigzag, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just, zigzag. yeah. Um, well, and it sounds like too, and, we'll, and then we'll, let's delve into some other stuff, but it sounds like you did have some support. It sounds like these uh, speech pathologists that you were working with, it sounds like they really were supportive and, and you really gravitated towards oh, that. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I was so grateful to those individuals. I still make mistakes. If you know me a long time, you'll hear certain things that I can't pronounce. Um, but they, they gave me such a gift. I overcame this challenge of speaking. I also had, like, I was one of these people that was tested all the time. I have, I have um, uh, some learning disabilities, too, okay. which was a big issue. I was in remedial reading forever uh, wow. until I figured out, um, that they were they weren't teaching me the right way. I had to figure out how to teach myself. Like, how do I learn? How does John learn? And once right. I figured out how I learn, then I was able to read. Mm-hmm. 
So it wasn't a, it wasn't a laborious task anymore because the way they taught me to read was like see spot run spot goes there. and it's like that's not how it is for me. I have to read really really fast or my brain becomes okay. disengaged. You know, okay. the faster I read, the better. And I have you know like a I have a I kind of have dyslexia because words move around. That's what was the problem I was having. I was reading too slow, and the words would lift off the page. If I re- read really, really fast, they didn't have a chance to move. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, and I think so that's, that I mean, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to say back in the day, but I think things are different, and you would probably appreciate this now just with all the different, you know, my background in psychology, all the different, you know, learning assessments they have out there and all the different things they have today that maybe they didn't necessarily have back when you were in school. Oh yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's come a long way. And one of the, and the person who would test me every year said, you know, you, you very honest with me. I think it was like seventh or eighth grade, but this was, you know, you're obviously intelligent, but it, your grades are not good and your reading comprehension is that good, but you'll speak. And you'll, you know, you'll come in here and you'll talk to me. Right. So she goes, I'm, I'm very frustrated because you obviously, you know, you're very articulate, you speak very well, but nothing bears it out in any other place. And I remember her saying that, and I was thinking, well, at least I'm strong in one area. <laughs> right, right. Well, and it's interesting because eventually, we'll, and we'll get into that. I mean, when you when you go off to college, I mean, you pursue a degree in speech communication. So clearly, you know, this was something that you were not just tackling as a challenge, but you were passionate about it and wanted to use it as you know something to launch your career. When you right. think about it, um, right? Yeah, when you want to be an actor, when you want to be a performer, and you know, as an actor, you have to read. You have to read so much. You have to learn. You have to comprehend. This has to be, and I'm very lucky that, you know, I don't sell cars, and I don't mean that my brother sold cars, so don't take that the wrong way. But I have a passion, this desire, this, this flame inside of me, like this is what I want to do. And for me to do this, I have to learn this. I have to overcome this. I have right. to overcome whatever it is, you know what I mean? Even having even having the money to go to New York to pursue a career, there's so many there's so many obstacles and barriers to entry to to this wow. industry. It's just one of those things where it's like here's another day and here's another obstacle. Right. right, but again, I mean, with like you're saying, just some of the barriers you had to deal with on your own outside of the industry, like you said, just being this constantly changing format and just, you know, constantly jumping through hoops. I mean, again, kudos to you just for everything that you've been able to accomplish. Um, Yeah, just uh, there's definitely a last man standing element to to this industry at this point. A lot of people I know that I started out with have, have left. You know, they just right. ended up getting a job. They've and that happens. It happens all the time. It is a uphill climb in this business. Yeah, I I can even I can even um, you know empathize with what you're saying. Just because when I first started doing my podcast, I was focusing a lot on musicians, and I'm telling you, John, I would get anxious just listening to some of their stories because for a lot of them, and these were these were pretty big touring musicians I was interviewing, but it took them 10, 15 years before they even broke. You know, and got yeah, a name and for that's themselves. Pretty much standard, by the way. It's, wow. And that is 
that is the same thing in acting. It's pre, that's pretty standard. It's very unusual. It's the one percent that breaks out in their twenties and thirties. That's changed again because there's so many platforms now, Hulu and Amazon. There's a lot more places right. to take off. Uh, but you know, when it was three networks and no streaming and all that stuff, that paradigm lasted pretty much for forever. So it, it was very, it was very tough. It was very tough, right. and it was much tougher to make your own stuff and, and get it out there. So it took people a really long time to break through. And you may be a, you could potentially nowadays be a star in kind of one silo, and no one knows you anywhere else. Right. So I, again, that's it's it's great that you have this ability to be so diverse, so to speak. And you know, I want to hear a little bit later on when we get into you, you know, really getting into your career about these corporate events and stuff. Because that's just, you know, I didn't think about it until I was like doing more research on you. I was like, you know, what an interesting and I don't want to say niche because I don't call it niche necessarily, but I'm sure like a lot of actors and comedians maybe don't even think about that aspect because they're so focused on you know, one particular road, so to speak, that they want to take. But I yes, mean, 100%. what an amazing piece of your career to, to be involved in that. Yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a wonderful, it's been such a gift uh, financially and it's, the work is much more consistent and it's much more relationship driven, driven uh, with the production companies that produce these massive meetings, just huge meetings you know, and you get to you get make much better money, and you get to stay at some great hotels, you know, locations <laughs> nice. all over the world. Nice. So, okay, so let's um, let's we talked a lot about you know elementary school and some of the challenges you're overcoming with the speech impediment and the, the reading difficulties. Um, as you progress through school, just were you ever someone who was into sports at all? Did you play any sports? Just to pull in any other uh, you know interesting aspects about yourself growing yeah. up. Yeah. My my father was a big sports fan. I am not naturally a sports fan. I, I don't follow sports. I try. It's just like my brain. I'm not a bandwidth. Um, right. Did you, but did, but you, did you play any? Like growing yeah, up, were you a kid football, that played soccer? I play, and I, yeah, I, I, I did it because I had to, but I played football. Um, I played, uh, I didn't play baseball, but I wrestled. And those were things that I could actually do. And I also, as I was learning more about, I mean, this sounds like I'm working in reverse, but as I learned more about acting and I would read about it, like actors will say, like, you've got to be involved in everything. You can't poo-poo something. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and, and sports are such a big thing in this country and such a big thing in, this high, in, my, in my high school. So I wanted to, and I also just from a social element, I, I wanted to do it. I, I really came to understand organized sports, the value of them much more a little later in life that I wish I had been just able to enjoy it more. And it wasn't okay. like I'm doing this because I have to do this. Um, okay. But I, okay. I, I played. Now I do. You know, I do far more sports now and work out all the time and all the. I see how beneficial it is. You know, nice. but it's it's very important. Athletics is really important, and there's an element of athletics that translates over into theater. You know, you are you are a team. It's a cohesive thing. I think mm-hmm. at a certain point, when you're younger, you see them as totally different things. They're not. They actually work together. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so 
as a kid in elementary school slash we'll say even maybe middle school, were you involved in plays and stuff? Were you a kid that was actually yeah, involved? Yeah, right out of the gate on that stuff. Right out of the gate. I did something in like grade school. I don't know. It was like, I want to say it was like Chekhov. It wasn't. But it was actually a very serious thing. And all these young kids were playing all these serious roles. And I got to be really angry and access all these emotions. And even the teacher was like, wow, this kid has a lot of anger. <laughs> but I just thought it was great to be able to play that as a kid, to be able to access these things. It was about a, a fire escape that was installed, and I, I'll, I'll never forget it. But was it installed properly, and someone got killed, and I was accusing the guy who installed it. And it, I just and that was maybe like fifth grade or something, or okay, fourth okay. or fifth grade, you know. But wow. I always did theater, and I was always in drama guild, and wanted to be part of that stuff and my my dad I forget when he bought a super eight camera but then I just started making home movies you know and did did stop animation and used my neighbors as actors so I was always that part came really naturally to me you know to be in a show to get on stage and I didn't have a lot of I didn't have a lot of fear uh, to get about getting on stage. I just, you know, I just ready to go. I just chopping at the bit. Like, just let me get on stage. I'll figure it out once I'm on stage. <laughs> right. And I, I think that's an interesting thing just that you said. You'll figure it out because I think that has been a lot of your life is just, again, going back to that concept of persevering and having that resilience and saying, you know, oh, this teacher's not going to, or this, you know, person's not helping me learn how to read right. I'm going to have to figure out my own style. Um, so I think right. that's a great quality that you have is that you can kind of throw you into the fire, so to speak, and you're going to figure out how to make it work. Right. Yeah. And I think that's like the lesson, the, the lesson that I've learned, like, I, like, why are we here on earth? What is our, you know, the existential questions? Mm-hmm. I come to believe for myself and for other people, how do you learn? Like I, I said that before, but it's kind of, if you know how you learn, things in life can be a lot faster and you can, you can take in a lot more information that can better your life and better your health and better your career, but you have to know how you learn. Otherwise, it's just overwhelming. That's, yeah, I think that's a great point. And that's, that's a kind of interesting concept. Maybe you should uh, do something with that, write a book. or I mean, that's really interesting because I think that is so relevant. Yeah, it should be my keynote. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so, talk a little bit about. I know you said your dad was um, a World War II veteran, and what did what did he do for? Did he work at all? Yeah, he was a steel worker. He worked at steel in Glenside, Pennsylvania, and he okay. literally made nuts and bolts. I mean, he literally worked on the same machine for thirty five years and made wow. nuts and bolts. And you know, he was like, you know, classic old school dad. There wasn't a lot of, um, you know, affection or anything like that. He was, you know, mm-hmm. World War II veteran. He saw some horrible, horrible things. And oh, gosh. Um, he was on the front lines and he was stuck there because he was with the, he was not a CB, but he was with the CBs and they were building runways and, you know, they would go in and just be super remote places. And it was, it was tough. And I basically <sighs> was in a few weeks before he died in 1990. I, um, I did an interview with him. I got a friend's uh, video camera, and I just did an uh, interview with him. And he opened up because he knew he was going to die. And uh, oh, he, the first time he – literally the longest conversation we ever had and also the most honest. And it was, it was, it was, it was, 
it was nice that he was finally able to do that. It just, you know, just sucked because I'm a very, you know, I'm, I'm a very sensitive person. I get a lot of my affirmation from other people. Uh, it would have been nice to have more of that from my father, but that just wasn't who he was. Sure. So that was another thing I had to arrive at. Like this, this guy cannot give me which something he does not have to give. So, right. um, you know, so that was a big, that, you know, that was a big learning thing, but he was who he was. He, I always kind of focus on the gifts he gave me, which are hard work and determination mm-hmm. and survival. Uh, those are the most important elements. And, uh, but he was, he, the, the interesting thing about him was he, he would work all day at the plant. We would cut grass and, you know, mow lawns and plow snow on the weekends. He essentially worked seven days a week. But when he had free time, he would go into the garage where he, he loved Mother of Pearl and he would make jewelry sometimes. Or he would, he, yeah, he just did. Sometimes he was remarkably artistic. But he would never say, look what I made. He just right. did it for himself. And then he would give it to somebody. And I just thought, there's an artist in this man. Uh, but it was so probably pushed back in his childhood. He really didn't get to develop it until much later. And in his free time, this is what he would do, you know. Right. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and then one time we were when we were landscaping like we did on the weekends, he found a, a bird's nest and he took a branch and, we, and he brought it home and he took a piece of wood and he had cut it like a like a like a, a weird shaped tree and then he took that piece and it was maybe two inches thick. He sanded it all down, lacquered it, drilled a hole in it, and then put that branch into that piece as a base, and then the nest, the, the branch held the nest. So it was like a piece you'd put on, you know, like a, an end table or in an office. And I think, mm-hmm. wow, that's amazing. <laughs> no, that is, again, very, and you had you. A, like, what did you say? Some people, like, he, he, he was surprising in that respect. Because he didn't do it all the time, but when he did it, you're like, holy crap, that came out of that guy? Like, he did right. that? So, like you said, he did have this underlying, it sounds like, creativity that would come out from time to time that he didn't maybe get to fully express. Yeah, yeah, for oh. sure. And and what about your mom? Was she was she like a homemaker? She, you know, she was a homemaker. She tried to work. She worked as a you know hostess here and there, but she was really um, much better. Uh, you know, I would say much better, much better by comparison. <laughs> right. But she had her, you know, she had her issues too. So, but Aww. she was she was my best audience, and she listened to all my jokes and material and stuff that I would watch on TV, and you know, basically repeat it back. Okay, so it sounds it like she funny. she was supportive of you. I mean, was would you say that your mom and dad were supportive of you pursuing well, a career? Well, they were supportive of me, but you know, they had no one in their family, nobody on either family that was in entertainment, and they didn't okay. see a way. They didn't see a way in for me. Not that I really saw a way in, other than like just work and work <laughs> right. and work. And eventually, you get in. There's no road. Right. There's no road in. And and it was interesting because my mom, my dad died in '90, and I was doing a play at the time. I was doing a play in Philadelphia, and he got to see it. And he got to see me working. That show ran. That show ran for a year. Um, and 
that was great because he was really concerned about me. I mean, he literally wanted me to, you know, go down to the plant. I was like, that's not going to happen. Um, uh, but I was able to, to make a living all of these years. And I think that was just more of his concern because he didn't know. My mom, I can still remember when I said, I'm going to, you know, pursue acting, you know, comedy and performing full time. And she was like, oh, you want to do this as a job? I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And she's like, okay. She didn't really, you know. Right. It's very Aww, foreign. So- it's, it's foreign to people. I think now with so many people who emerge on TikTok and Instagram, it's different for a parent. Back then, like this is, you know, like 80, 81, 82, 83, they didn't really know, you know, like how do you do this? Right. And especially like you said, I was going to ask that question, but you already answered it. If you didn't have anyone else potentially in the family that even dabbled in some type of an entertainment you know, industry aspect to speak, right. They had nothing to even go by either because of that. Right. Yeah. There's right. no, they, they have nothing to compare it to zero. Right. You know, people were mechanics and people were waitresses or hostesses or people were, you know, accountants or things like that. But that, that something so capricious as being a performer just seemed out of their realm. Right. Right. Now, you mentioned you had a brother. Do you have uh, more than one brother or a sister? I have I have uh, two brothers. Well, actually, I, I have two biological brothers. My parents okay. got together in 1961, 62, had me, and they had my brothers, Michael and Stephen, who were fraternal twins. But prior to that, they were both married before. Okay. So my my dad had three daughters from his very first marriage, and my mother had two kids, my brother George and Carol, from her first marriage. Oh, wow. Um, my brother George has passed away. My three sisters under, from my dad are still alive, and my sister Carol is alive, and Michael and Stephen are uh, very much alive. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you got yeah. wow. So we you only have... have one sibling who's passed, and we're kind of all over the place. My sister Carol lives in in England. My sister Sherry's in California with uh, with her my nephew because he had moved out there. But everybody else is pretty much in the Philadelphia area. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. Interesting. Just get some background on you with the family. Yeah, and, stuff. So, and I didn't grow up with my three older sisters. I grew up with my two my two younger brothers and my sister Carol, and my brother George. Okay. Okay. Nice. Yeah, so, seven of us seven of us crammed into a row home. Oh my gosh. Outside of Philly with one bathroom. Oh gosh. Wow. That must yeah. have been challenging. Oh yeah. Yeah, you watch it, and the funny thing is, I remember you know watching like the Brady Bunch and yeah. shows like that. It would be, you know, there's Mr. Brady coming home from work in a suit and uh, you know like briefcase, and my dad's asleep on the couch in his underwear, thinking, hmm, "This seems different." <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh gosh. So. Take us a little bit, so, you know, you're getting through high school and stuff, I'm assuming, and mm-hmm. you can fill in the gaps if there's any that you're still heavily involved in plays and acting and all that stuff. Um, yeah, all that stuff, yep. Okay, so what, what college Making is... movies. Okay, you know, making I mean, movies. Again, we don't have any well, guidance for college, 
and um, internally. My brother George went to LaSalle, but he was kind of out of the picture by then. And um, I, uh, I, he was already working by then, actually. And I went by my a guidance counselor who was sending a lot of the people from Wissahickon to, you know, state schools. And okay. I didn't know, but if I had known better, I probably would have went to Emerson, which has turned out so many writers and comedians and actors, and it's in Boston. But I ended up mm-hmm. going to East Stroudsburg in the Puckinos. And I was there for a number of years. It was actually a great school with a brand new um, theater. The, 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 the communications building, which was TV and film and theater, was brand new. And it was, a, it was actually great to have all, access to all new equipment and a new theater. And then I got bored of that. And then I transferred to Temple University in 83. And that was, I, that may have been a mistake. That was, so that what? Was real quick, just to in. just to just to digress. So you're at East Stroudsburg, and you just were kind of you were just bored there. Like what was? I was, was getting major, itchy, like, and I wanted to. I would have loved to have gone NYU, and I wanted more of a cosmopolitan, you know, city center. Okay. And if I had really thought it out, I just should have stayed at Stroudsburg. And uh, instead, I went to Temple, and it was starting from scratch midway through. Which, <laughs> if someone had told me, like, listen. You do not want to transfer halfway through. You're basically starting all over again, trying to build relationships and all these things. Right. You already have relationships here. It makes more sense to finish this out. And I was, you know, I was like, I'm going to Temple. So <laughs> right. You, you live and you learn. Right, right. But you got, I mean, you got through it. You continued your, you know, speech communications degree there, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. And that's what I graduated okay. with. Okay. And then the goal when you, let's say you get out of college, was the goal right away to try to get involved in acting and stand up and, and all the stuff you wanted to do? I, I knew I was going to do that, but I had, I wanted to be a, here was the plan. I was going to be a copywriter in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was going to build my book, copywriting, and then move to a New York agency because I knew I would need income. <laughs> just like everybody right. else. And a lot of people were willing to wing it. Uh, I, I, but I had a plan. I didn't want to like, I, you know, starved most of my life, you know, with a right. one income family. And I was like, I can't do that in New York. I know how expensive it is. So I decided I'm going to start at, at advertising. And I ended up working at two different ad agencies, but I, I disliked it so much. I was like, this okay. We're abandoning this plan. Right. This, and what were you? What were life. you specifically? Um, tell us a little bit about what your role was at these. Because I was going to ask you about the Philadelphia advertising agency. You were working as a copywriter. What was your role? Was, and what were you doing? My my role was writing copy for ads in the real estate world and a lot of other miscellaneous copy kind of things, you know, humorous okay. one-liners for ads, layout on ads, all that thing. I was a junior copywriter, but it just was not status. It was just not, I was also always fascinated by advertising in and of itself, not just because of commercials, but the way copy is written and how evocative it can be and how interesting an ad, a well-written ad mm-hmm. can be. And then obviously the copy and commercials, which is one of the things I wanted to do. I wanted to do commercials and, you know, speak that copy and it was just like I didn't really enjoy it and it was just I was like I can't do that I can't be in an office I we really I kind of put that together early on right so uh, and, and around that time I joined a comedy troupe 
uh, sketch comedy troupe, and we just kind of gelled, and we started working at the comedy clubs in the Philadelphia area and actually made some money and ended up getting a booking in the Bahamas. And I was like, this is, wow, this is, this is great. And was that, um, was that the schizoid group? What's, what's that? Was that the comedy group called schizoid? Oh, schizoid. Yes. Yes. Schizoid, schizoid yeah. comedy. And then we, we had a smaller version called schizoid light and okay. we were doing that for a while. And then I started working in Atlantic city performing there. Um, and, actually had like a regular gig. I had regular work there, which was great. I was performing there for at least a year. Uh, and then the Tony and Tina's wedding, I was cast in that in 1989. Yeah. And we all went to New York. We were cast in Philly. I have the cast was out of New York. Half the cast was out of Philadelphia. And then we went up to New York and we spent a week there and then we did the shows there. And then we came back down to Philadelphia. That show ran a year. That's great. And then we moved to Atlantic City, and then we did three months at Trump Plaza. And after that, it was kind of, by then, I worked pretty consistently as a performer. And then it was just a matter of, okay, where am I, I going to pursue my career? Is it going to be Philadelphia, Atlantic City? And, and I realized, like, I'm going to have to do a little of everything to keep the money coming in. So... So around 90, 91, 92, I was working all over the place. I was starting to do my stand-up act, and then I was working on stand-up 92, 93, 94, and then really working at 95, 96, 97, along with all these other components. But the reason I mention that is stand-up was not what I thought it was going to be. It was much, it was much tougher, not the performing element, but the – the getting the work and getting to the bookings and it was, I was like, Oh, this is not how I saw it in my mind. Interesting. Um, so, yeah. And it was, was it know, also what people do, with the comedy, with the stand up comedy, was it also challenging with other comedians you were working with? Did you find? No, difficulty? I mean, I loved working with the other comedians and I loved okay. going to the open mic and hanging out with them. And, but what it was is like, you'd get the bananas in Pittsburgh, but you had to get there yourself. You know what I mean? Right. And you'd right. drive across the state on your own dime, and then you'd you'd be in your hotel room, which is usually a crappy hotel, and you're there all day, and you're rewriting your act, and you're rewriting your act, and you're rewriting your act, and your life boiled down, because I was a featured uh, comedian, your life boiled down to 30 minutes every day. Gotcha. That was it. Right. 30 minutes. And if you had a bad set, I mean, you wanted to kill yourself afterwards. Right. <laughs> and then if you had a great set, you, you know, it was like someone just shot heroin into your arm. So right. it was, and then you did the eight o'clock show and you would kill and the 10 o'clock show you would bomb. You're like, what the hell? And it was very confusing. But the other part is what people don't think about outside of standup, comedy clubs are not McDonald's in the sense that they are not consistent. Right. Oh, I've been to a lot of shows and I, I can tell you just from sitting in the audience. Right. Just, yeah. Yeah. Every club is different. So you get there and you have to assess the, the sight lines. You have to assess the sound. Do they have the equipment that they need for your musical cues? Did you tell the guy how to pronounce your name? Right? You know, all these little things. Um, and some clubs were just brutal. The owners didn't really care about the comedians. They just, they were a restaurant and this is the best way to get people in and sell drinks. 
And it was around 96, 97, I forget exactly what year, but I, somebody saw me in a club and I got booked to do my very first corporate gig. And I, um, I was flying to Florida. Uh, well, the, the week before I did that corporate gig, I was at the Villa East in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And I walked in and the guy was just a total jerk and the owner. And I was like, hi, I'm John D. Domenico. I'm your featured act this week. And I can't even repeat what the guy said to me. But, but then he, like, I, they take me to my room, which is like a broom closet somewhere. And those shows oh, yeah. I actually killed. And the reason I remember that, my brother Stephen was living in Lancaster at the time. He brought a lot of people out. So it was a lot of fun. That following week, I did my very first real corporate king where they flew me to Florida first class, um, picked me up in a limousine, had my name on the card. We went to the Swan at um, at Disney World, did this big production with all these really amazing people. And uh, that night I went back to my room after the performance, after being there a couple of days, and I took a yellow legal pad. I wrote a line mm-hmm. down the middle. And I wrote of all the companies I could think of and all the cities. And I thought, there's a meeting going on in every single one of those cities with all of these companies and that is where I want to be nice I want to be making great money mm-hmm. staying at amazing hotels working with incredibly talented people on a big shows that last not just a day but like multiple days and right. then that right. kind of gave me like a 20 plus well actually up till now of doing corporate events which has been absolutely amazing now just to just to get me up to speed. So when you got flown out to Florida and you're like you said, you're kind of having this aha enlightenment moment, enlightening moment at that time, was you you were just doing stand up or were you also doing impersonation? I was doing a character. So I was doing a character of all sorts. Oh, okay. So let's um, start. That meeting was for that that meeting was for Sony Mobile, and okay. um, I did a bit where I hosted a game show as Groucho Marx. It was um, it was uh, Sony University, so. And it was great because it was one of my characters, and I was there. Yeah, and, the, and please, you know, flown in the day. As we're talking, John, right, please sorry. pull in some of the voices, you know, here and there. Maybe just go into a oh, little voice you know, so we can. Forget this morning, the African explorer. So I love folks just made Groucho marks, and I did the whole show as Groucho, <laughs> and it was so much fun. And then they had a comedian they flew in. I think it was Brian Regan who's still a comedian to this day, but he was Mm -hmm. like your headliner entertainment. I was like, this is amazing. Like, this was all new to me. Like, all these people are flown in. They're put up at a big hotel. They have a meeting during the day. And then they, I mean, like, the meeting is a stage and the CEO speaks and the vice president of marketing speaks. And then they have a game and then they have a town hall and then they have a team building event. And I was like, this is incredible. And then they had brought Brian Regan in, and I remember thinking, like, they're hiring comedians? Like, I had no idea comedians even did this. And I was a comedian. Right. So it was, it was just – I just learned so much, and then I kind of changed over and started um, – what, what I did was I want to do more corporate. So I, some of the agents that I was working with in New York were able to get me auditions, but those auditions didn't – that process, I was coming in too late. I was coming in too late to the creative process. So I shifted my focus, and I thought, who are the people who are making the decisions on these big meetings? Well, it's the mm-hmm. creative directors at the production companies. So AT&T hires a production company to produce their meeting. So I had to find and, – and no list of companies are totally under the radar. But these big corporations know who they are. So I started targeting the creative directors – 
send them my stuff and say, listen, I am your Swiss army knife. I'm a writer, comedian. I impersonate all these people. I'm totally self-contained. And I would bug them for a year and eventually they would hire me because I did a character they needed. They needed Dr. Phil. Hey, everybody, it's me, Dr. Phil. What were you thinking? Or they needed Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> so nice. I eventually got in maybe with one character and they saw that I, I worked really well in these environments and they brought me back to these two characters and the next year, three characters. And all of a sudden I was doing their meeting over and over and over again. Um, That's because for me, it wasn't like I was there to like, my goal is to work obviously, but I want to offer something that they need. I want to be a value added component of the meeting. It's amazing. So that, was a big, I, that was a big change for me. I mean, I, and I kind of left acting and all the other stuff behind because when you do these jobs, they're a week at a time. Right. And they're, the, the prep time in advance, all the writing sometimes takes two and three months. So it, it, it filled my schedule pretty significantly. Well, that's great. I mean, it was kind of like that, that moment, they say, where you pivot, so to speak. You know, you had that opportunity to get flown down to Florida, and it really opened your eyes to see oh. just there was a world of other opportunities you, you just didn't even know about. And I think that's what I was trying to say in the beginning of the interview when we were starting to just, you know, get into your history was – learning about this corporate stuff. And I, like I said, I just thought that was so interesting and it was just another path you could take that probably many people either a don't know about or just are not interested in. So kudos to you. Oh, that it's you so, have it's so true. I even had performers over time say to me, what do you do again? <laughs> what do, you know, like, wait, what are you doing? And because that, that I didn't know it existed and so many other working actors, you know, just have no idea. And it's such a great place to perform. You know, you're in front of a great, along with the money and all those great locations. The the, the thing is, it's a really smart audience. Right. It's a right. really smart audience that also um, that you're writing the material to them. It's, you're customizing the material. So they appreciate it even more. Definitely. Well, let's, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about all the impersonations you do. And again, your, your massive YouTube following you have, the TikTok. So again, congratulations on all Thank the you. awards you've won with, with Trump, um, the appearances you've had. You've been flying all over the, the world, so to speak. Doing yeah, them. So, it's been pretty good, yeah, pretty good run since 2004. Yeah, 2004. So tell us, when was that moment where you were like, you have something here with Trump. I mean, you always did, but there had to have been that kind of one moment where things turned. Was that when he started running? Well, yeah, well, there's actually two things. So I, you know, when, when I was looking, you know, that whole thing, when I was looking to move to New York back with the copywriting and everything, I was trying to learn about New York. I knew the history of New York, you know, how it started as a trading post, but I was just trying to get more into the pop culture beyond the theater and that kind of stuff. And that two names kept coming up. It was Donald Trump and Leona Helmsley. And I'm thinking, okay. who is this Trump? Who is this Trump guy? And you know, you'd be on the paper. You know, you'd be in the paper. You'd be here, be there. And by the end of the '80s, he was really popping up because you know, if you're in the Philadelphia area, Atlantic City is essentially the same area. So there's it's like Trump, 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 Trump. And I just was fascinated by him because of um, 
his Horatio Alger story, which turned out that was not the case. He came from money. But it seemed like this guy had been like this self-made man. And it was just a really fascinating guy. And I've always been interested in like the Astors and the Rockefellers. And mm-hmm. all of these people kind of formed, you know, the Mellons, uh, Carnegie, who formed this this construct of like the super successful robber baron kind of guy. And uh, when he came along, I was like, this, this is a really interesting guy. And at the time, all those other people I just mentioned were dying off. So there weren't any like great American businessmen who were out there going, I'm a tremendous businessman. I do a fantastic job. And then he wrote Art of the Deal, and then he was really everywhere because it was one of the real like, – there hadn't been a business book in quite a while. And then all of a sudden, Trump's like, I, you know, the art of the deal. I've done all these fantastic deals. I have to tell you, I'm so incredible. I'm so amazing. I'm really, really unbelievable. And um, that that year, my my 87, when the book came out, my wife at the time bought it for me because I'd asked her for it for Christmas. But the inscription was very interesting. She's a child. She was a, she is still to this day a child therapist, but she Okay. <laughs> I don't like this guy. I don't like what he stands for. But you wanted the book. So so he was kind of in my head, and I just found it very interesting. And then I met him in 1990 when we did the show at Trump Plaza. And then in 1997, whatever his 55th birthday was, I got booked as Austin Powers to be co-host his 55th birthday. So I was on stage with him. I met him during rehearsals. And it was, you know, he, he he's just a really charming, charismatic guy when you meet him in person. And then, um, so he was kind of in my head because I was working on all of his properties. I bought his book. And then in 2004, at the end of the very first season of The Apprentice, and I'd watched it because, you know, it was just a great, very well-made show. And right. um, one of my agents called who knew I did kind of tougher voices. She said, are you doing Trump yet? I said, well... I said, I said, he's in my head, which is probably the most important part. And I said, just give me like one hour. I just need to break the voice down into elements. And that's what I do with all my voices. I break them down okay. into pieces. Okay. And then I, I, so I took an hour and I broke his voice down. I throat placement, nasal placement, actual vocal, um, you know, mechanism, the mechanism, how he speaks, all these things. And I said, you know what, call it back. I, said, I can go in for this audition. And that audition was on Monday. So this was a Friday. I ran out and bought the DVD. It literally had just come out. I went to Barnes and Nobles and bought it. And that weekend, it was 30 hours. And I just wrote notes, really specific notes. Right. And I went in and I got that audition. It was a voiceover for him. Oh, my gosh. At, at, at the Taj Mahal. They were putting in the boardroom game, which is a ripoff of The Apprentice, but they weren't allowed to do it because, you know. So anyway, I sat in the studio for a week with two Trump executives on the speaker phoning it in. I was in Princeton, and I just did hundreds of sentences, hundreds of words, hundreds of numbers, so they could just take my voice and manipulate it as they would need it. It would be like, blue team, green team, you both did a horrible job, but blue team, somehow you won. Somehow right. you won. So that was the thing. So you'd go into the Taj Mahal, you'd go in as a group, and what you'd get an assignment, and they had a Carolyn Kepscher, and they had a George Ross, but I was on the phone because I was so busy, I couldn't come down to Atlantic City. So that was the bit. And then within a year, I got another call 
from another agent said, I know you're doing Trump. I've heard the radio commercials and everything. Are you doing him full makeup yet? I said, not, not yet. But I said, when's this booking? This is about a month out. I said, I can definitely put this together. So I went to New York, Bob Kelly, who does all the wigs for Saturday Night Live and all the Broadway shows. He's since passed, and he was a great guy. I went to him, wow. and I said, Bob, Bob, I need a wig. And um, his wigs are super expensive, but he had a wig that had already been made. I said, why do you have a wig for Trump already? And he said, well, so Trump just shot a commercial where he's on top of Trump Tower, and he's got a Visa credit card that blows out of his hands and ends up in a dumpster. And we had to build the, the wig. We had to build the wig for the body devil who went into the dumpster to get the Visa card so it looked like Trump. And this commercial is still online. Wow. And, okay. And I bought that wig. And he, oh reached, he kind of redid the construction so it fit my head because I have a big head. But that wig <laughs> I had for years. So, so after I did that very first initial job, a live job, I get a call from a, uh, a publicist in New York. He says, listen, we hear you do Donald Trump. And at the time, this was like 2006, nobody was doing Trump. Nobody. Right. And I was one of the few people. And I was in New York. And they said, we work with the Trump organization he has a cross promotion with Embassy Suites, which he's supposed to do this coming Sunday on Fox News, but he's not available. He's out of the country. Can you stand in for him? Oh, my gosh. I said, absolutely, absolutely. So it was Fox and Friends, 2006, and I did this big cross promotion. I got a lot of publicity. But, I mean, so I worked for him again doing that. So it's very interesting. He had to approve me, and he found out about me and all that stuff. So uh, it, it's been a very – that was, you know, kind of the initial thing. And then since I'd spent so much money on the wig, the wig was very, like thousands of dollars. So I thought, I need to repurpose this wig. So I need to, you know, all of my corporate clients, I reached out to and said, hey, I'm doing Trump. I've got the full look. I can do an apprentice game. I can do a roast. I can be the after dinner speaker because anytime I invest in any character, I have to know that I can resell it corporately. So mm-hmm. that became a big thing, an amazing run for, you know, that's from 2006, well, 2004, but literally 2006 up to when he announced in 2015. And then right. that was like just five years of nonstop because uh, Fox News came right to me as soon as he announced, because I was still one of the few people doing him. And then I ended up on Conan and on Chelsea and on all these other <laughs> yeah. shows, because, you know, it's it's great to be first <laughs> and to have a history, because to this day, and I don't know if it's still the same, but if you go on to Google and put in Donald Trump impersonator, like forever, I was organically number one. I never paid for any SEO. It was just naturally number one. Congrats. That's amazing. Yeah. So, and a quick question with the makeup. When you started doing the makeup, were you doing it yourself? I, I Yeah, I, I had to learn over time. I love makeup and I love, you know, make, especially special effects makeup. Mm-hmm. But when I, when I really started doing him on a really regular basis, I went to one, one of my makeup artist people and I said, listen, I said, I can't afford to bring you on the job. I said, right. we need to design a makeup, um, you know, tutorial. I need to do it step by step. Right. And I just need to do it myself. You need to tell me what to buy, what <laughs> brushes I need, and how to do this. And I've gotten, I've gotten a lot better over time because I do makeup for all of my characters. But I'll tell you what, uh, makeup training, I-, I wish I had done it when I was in college because even though I do Trump 
you know, literally every day, especially during the last five years. I've never done the makeup the same twice. Right. Right. But again, I'm sure you, I mean, clearly you've gotten very adept at doing it because you look phenomenal oh, in yeah, all the videos. Yeah, I know how yeah, do the primer and the base and the contouring of the nose and the aging around the oh eyes and gosh. the whiteness and the, 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 you know, the, the getting the eyebrows the right color and the arching of the eyebrows and then, ho- you know, hollowing out my jowls a little bit so my face looks even bigger than it actually is. And that, so like <laughs> his skin is very ruddy, so I, then I have to go back with the stipple and ruddy the skin a little bit. It's, it, you know, it's, 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 it takes about an hour to get into Trump. Oh my goodness. That's incredible. That's incredible, John. Um, so again, you do, and we can't of course get into every voice, but you do approximately 40 different voices that I saw recently. Congrats. You're working on a bunch of others, including Clinton and Obama. So I love, you know, as somebody like Bill Clinton, he's perfect for me because as someone who had like a speech, a speech issue, like I can tell, Obviously, you got to do the Arkansas accent, right? Hey, how you doing, sweetie? Good to see you. But then you got to get that dryness because what Bill Clinton does is he just talks and talks and talks. He dries his throat out. So that's like right. that's my thing for him. It's like that. And then with uh, Obama, he's got that. He really punches everything because here's the deal, you know, for someone like him. Right. Oh, uh, my then gosh. someone like Arnold, you've got to be very careful because he's Austrian and he's not German. You know, they mean big difference. Incredible. Wow. What a talent you are. So, <laughs> no, seriously, it's just, it's fascinating. Oh, just, ha- again, pulling all these different elements and pieces of yourself together to, you know, get this career that you, you know, pretty much were driving for as a little kid. It's just, it's fascinating. Yeah, and it, and you know, and like I said, it just never stops. You constantly have to keep working and keep improving and adding new voices. And you know, I I I got this. You saw the app, obviously, and it's making me like I would see someone trace and go, "I wait a minute, I can do that voice. Oh, I can do Nicholson. Mm-hmm. I, I'll do Nicholson. I oh, I can I can do Christopher Walken. So I need to practice and then do the video as Walken. Wow." <laughs> oh my gosh. So congratulations too on the, the TikTok, uh, you know, 4.5 million followers and your YouTube at 19 million. I mean, how long did YouTube it take is, you to um, that? 97,000. 97, I'm sorry, what was YouTube that? YouTube is 97,000 and Instagram's 18,000 oh, okay. or 17,000. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But still, yeah. absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. So share with us, I know that real quick, also pulling, because you did a great job with the the YouTube series. Just give us a little bit of, uh, you know, a couple of bullets on Orange Acres. It's incredibly funny. Um, actress, <laughs> Michaela Gordon, if I'm pronouncing her name right, I apologize Michaela. if I didn't. Michaela's you know, amazing. Michaela. I'm so lucky to work with her. She's so Yeah, talented. how did you, just tell us a little bit about, did you come up with this idea? Um, I came up with the How idea. did you meet Michaela? Michaela? Um, my, my ex, not my ex, sorry, my, <laughs> so many relationships. My current fiance, Michelle Rothschild, Okay. she knew Michaela 
and said, you know what, you have, this was a couple of years ago, it's like, you have to meet Michaela. She's so funny. She's so talented. And, and, and we met, and it's just every now and then you'll meet somebody and have an instant connection to them. Mm-hmm. And I met her, and I was just like, oh, my God, we have to work together. We have to work together. So as I was getting bookings as Trump, live bookings, we were always trying to sell Michaela, and I was able to get her a couple of bookings, which was great because then we spent time together. And we're like, this is great. She's a great improver. She's really funny. And then we, um, she was spending time. She works in L.A., but she was here on the weekends. And I would say, hey, let's just get together and shoot something, and we did. And I was like, we need to do something a little more structured. We have to because we're going to kill it. We're going to kill it. And I I was thinking about, you know, Trump was – this is obviously after Trump – the election was over and he was going to be out of office. And I thought, you know, he's going to be out of office. He's supposedly in debt, all of these things, and he's going to have to find a job. And and I was remember from the Emmys, he had – he had sung Green Acres with uh, Megan Malawi. And I thought Green Acres, Orange Acres, you know, it'd be really funny if every week they have to get another job and the setup would be Orange Acres, they're thrown out of the White House, you know, she has to leave New York like, you know, Ava's character did on Green Acres. So it just came together, and we put a crew together, and we started shooting, and it's just done really, really well. And I'm just so happy about it, you know. Yeah, like the last, Yeah, like the last video, the, the I think the second episode, or the fourth, I can't keep a track, but one of our episodes broke like 288,000, and then one got uh, 600,000 views. Yeah, so that it's, to us, that's just, you know, this affirms that people like this kind of humor. And it's really not political. They're just used really as archetypes uh, for the show. Yeah, and I think I, I had listened to another interview with you, and I, I think you made a really good point. And you can you can elaborate on this just briefly. But, you know, you're not trying to really sell one side or another side. And no. I mentioned, too, my show is not a political show, and I appreciate, you know, it's been a fantastic interview with you. But I oh, think that's you. the point, is you're not trying to turn one side or another side off. It's, right. it's comedy, and, 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 it's humor, yeah. it's satire. Here's the thing. I mean, I don't have a political action grind. If you get to know me personally, you know, we'll talk politics. But the thing is, as an entertainer, and I truly believe this, you shouldn't know my politics. They shouldn't seep through. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I am here to, to entertain the entire audience. Why some people um, want to alienate half their audience makes no sense to me. Uh-huh. Makes no sense. I mean, I did a, yep. I did a Trump, I did a show here in Las Vegas at the Sahara, and um, we, we ended the whole bit with the song from Hamilton instead of um, You'll Be Back, It's Been You've Been Trump. And I would have people come up to me and they say, we're from Minnesota, we love Trump, and that was hilarious. And 10 seconds mm-hmm. later, you know, two two guys from San Francisco would come up and say, we cannot stand Trump. And that was hilarious. It was like, great, <laughs> right. I did my job. I entertained exactly. both sides of the aisle, aisle. And even if I did have a political accident, Ryan, I people who think they're going to change someone's mind, it's like, come on, you're not changing anybody's mind. Right, right. 
No, but I think that's I think that's so important, and it's such an important point you make. It's you don't want to alienate your audience. I mean, you're right. you're out there to entertain, and yeah, I can't. I'm not going to name the name, but there was a couple of bands when you know the whole political thing was going on, and I mean phenomenal bands, and I was just I was just so taken back that you know some of them broke up because a member was just so outspoken that it led to not only the band dissolving, but then people, you know, fans and audience members having, you know what I mean? Issues, so to speak. And that's a shame because it's, that's your bread and butter. That's your entertainment. Um, So, yeah. But anyway, congratulations. Yeah. And I've been amazed having, you know, and I've worked, I did 50 appearances, over 50 appearances on Fox. I was at, Fox in New York many, many times and in LA. And, you know, there's, they had a sense of humor about it. And, you know what I mean? Like, everyone deserves to be entertained. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So, what's in the works? Um, what can you maybe share about some of the potential things you have coming up in the future with uh, your career? I, I, I can never talk about this specifically, unfortunately, but I... That's okay. I'm shooting for, oh, I wish I could, because it, it, it makes no sense to me that I cannot talk about this show. No, um, I respect but I it. I am doing a show. It is on one of the well-known networks. Um, they, they, that, that network has ordered four more episodes of, of the show that we did. So um, we're, we did it back in October, so now we're going to do four more episodes of that show. So I'll be... Um, in LA next week and start the process of shooting that show. So I'm really excited about that. We're going to continue doing Orange Acres episodes. I'll probably come back and do some more Howard Stern um, as Trump starts reannouncing his um, his uh, social media platforms. I'm always working on new voiceover work. So uh, it's a lot of auditioning. And one of the things now, because I'm not doing Trump as much, I'm lining up auditions for other shows. So I'm going to really focus in on acting again for the first time in the last five years. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. it would be great to be expected. There's a lot of shows going into production, like an amazing amount. That's definitely, and it's, and it's great. Like you said too, with, with all the different forums now and Amazon and Hulu and Netflix, I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, you got so many opportunities that you can um, hopefully get involved in. Right, right. And it'd be that, you know, I love doing what I do, creating from scratch. But at some point, sometimes you just, like, just want to be cast in a show. You don't have to, you don't want to, like, have to write it, produce it, set up the location. You know what I mean? The list oh is long. Gosh, we do yeah. those episodes of Orange Acres. It takes so much pre-work to get to the point where we're on set we're actually shooting. Oh, I can't even, I can't even imagine. I mean, from just like you said, all the different aspects you're involved in. So, so that'll be nice for you to just get a little bit of a, a you want to call it a break in some way to write, just walk yeah, in. Yeah, it is. It is. When you arrive on a set <laughs> and all you have to do is act, it's the greatest thing in the world. It's the That's greatest great. thing in the world. That's a great. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, please share anything else you want to, and then we'll wrap things up and have yeah. you share your yeah. website yeah. and your go social media. Go to all media. my social media, go to the YouTube channel, you can put in John D. Domenico or Orange Acres, you can find it. I'm on all the major platforms on Twitter and Instagram and obviously Facebook. So, you know, just use my name and find me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much, John. You were an amazing interview. Um, a podcast will be available, so if anyone didn't tune into the live interview, they can, of course, uh, download my podcast on iTunes or any of the iHeartRadio major digital sites. Um, yeah, but no, thank you so much for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure. Oh, and great. you were it was very in-depth. This was awesome. Thank you. And, of course, you're, you're always welcome to come back on in the future. So we'll have to reconvene at a, at a later date when you have some more things to promote and some new right. stuff going on. And we've covered all the major stuff now, so that's good. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> oh, so thank you so much, John. I mean, much continued success to you. As I mentioned, you are oh, an incredible so talent. Much. And I'm glad I had a chance to, to meet you, too, personally, just uh, through some communication on the uh, social media sites. Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, John. Right. Have a great day, and we will uh, we'll okay. be in touch. Okay, take right. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. Comedian, writer, producer, impersonator extraordinaire John DiDomenico. Um, what a pleasure having him on today. If you tuned in late, please be sure to check out the podcast. It will be available within the next hour. And, uh, again, please uh, check out some of the other interviews I've done done about 250 interviews with everyone from authors, musicians, filmmakers, comedians, the list goes on. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, I've really tried to hone in on the unique uh, life story of the person. Every interview I do is different. I'm not doing a cookie cutter interview, so to speak. So, so please check out the interviews, promote the show. Let's get this out there more. And um, I'll be in the works of reaching out to some more individuals to uh, set up some interviews. So you can follow the Carrie Edelman show on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram at Carrie Edelman. I have a couple of personal pages on Facebook if you want to connect with me there. And you can follow me also on Twitter at Carrie Edelman. So thank you again for tuning in. Again, phenomenal show with uh, John D. Domenico. And uh, we will be in touch soon. Have a great day.